Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. This is Katie. I'm your host again. Um, Sarah is having a little time off being being mom, Sarah, but um, everyone, I am joined again by Chelsea. Hi, Chelsea. Hi. Back. <laughs> <laughs> um, as promised for part two of her story that I, I hyped up and I promise you it's worth <laughs> that. <laughs> so. so sweet. Thank you. So we left off. Um, you were starting to tell us about going to work with your family. Oh, yeah. Listeners, if for some reason you're just starting on this one, go back to the previous episode and <laughs> because this will all make much better sense if you do that. But. Yes. Once you hear my first ramble, my second <laughs> ramble will make sense. <laughs> giving talks in church so often. And- oh, yeah. You're just up there. <laughs> Bearing your testimony. For, yeah. For After the first episode, I'm like, I really felt, I was like, dang it, I meant to say this and this, and I'm all triggered because I'm feeling testimony. Uh, you know, it's so hard to get it all in, in like an hour's time. Every single yeah. person that I have on here, they're like, wait, That's I didn't it. get to say this and this and this, and it's already been an hour and a half. And it's like, oh, I know you can't unpack all that drama <laughs> in an hour. <laughs> like using this for... T- uh therapy almost I mean it really does feel like that and I even thought about it Katie sent me the recording and I was able to listen to the first episode before it was released and I was just thinking like this is a weird I've never felt the sense of relief that I felt after even listening to myself tell the same story I've told a billion times to people but I think maybe in real life, you're gauging their reaction and a lot of people who haven't been in the church, you know, don't really get it or are maybe try to support you, but right. it's so in depth. And then other Mormons are de- or other ex-Mormons are dealing with their own trauma. And then if you tell Mormons, they're going to gaslight you. So I was just, after listening to that first episode, it felt like I finally got the opportunity to tell my story the way I experienced it without anybody interjecting or like trying to correct me, correct me, I eat, you know, gaslight me, but so thank you. And I'm sure everybody else is like, wait, I need another therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I mean, for me too, like, it really is like therapy, just like talking about this stuff and hearing that, um, what I experienced, it wasn't just me, like all those yeah. feelings and emotions. So, yeah, validating to feel like, because you feel isolated, like they make you feel like you're a one-off for the questioning or the leaving or challenging them. And, you know, you're the anomaly. So I'm, again, so grateful to oh, you and oh. Sarah for <laughs> helping so many of us, uh. really. Genuinely, I even when my brother and sister-in-law finally left the church, I immediately sent them your guys' podcast. <laughs> yes, I was like, just start wherever, start listening. I'm like, it's gonna make you feel so much better. And they, yeah, they were like, they Be prepared for sex and fart jokes. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of swearing, which was, swearing. it's been interesting. Like, um, anyway, we'll get to that. But yes, I left off. I had just, my dad asked me to come and help him with the family business um, to scale because they were growing, the economy was doing well, and he needed help with the software side of things and the computer stuff uh, to organize the business. And so I went and started working with him and he it, he was just, he's a solopreneur. So like it was just 
him running the business and then uh like his contractors and um my mom and like nobody else in the family worked for him and when I went and started working for him they were all like really upset and felt like I was getting this favoritism or something and it's always been a battle like for the so it's it was about four years total that I've worked for um, my parents and um, yeah everybody it just it's always I don't know why everything I do in my life is met with so much like resistance from my family and yeah like uh, critique or negativity but my mom was really upset that I went and worked for him and uh unfortunately like as over the years I've learned and through what I've heard you know through the grapevine and people in my family love to gossip so I hear quite a lot as Mormons do Um, I have this theory that like I'm like because you know human beings were kind of prone to gossiping and prone to gossip is that did I say that right yeah And um, we like it's fun to hear what's going on in other people's lives, but there's a point where it's toxic slash you do it out of insecurity slash right. it's too much. And and to be honest, I try and I, I'm working on, you know, not not even indulging if I feel like it's, you know, negative. But they I heard through the grapevine, you know, like basically the sentiment was. I don't have kids and I'm, you know, uh, have chosen to have a career and be single or whatever. And my, I feel like my mom slash other people in my family want, wanted the work to be divvied out to the stay at home moms so that they could earn money and stay at home with the kids and like why should i get that job when i can go into corporate america and get a normal job except for the fact that none of my siblings were qualified to do the my dad needed to do like i'm the one that put myself through college had a career has worked in customer service has worked in customer success in business for a long time and in tech like and that's really what he needed was the tech help so it was a battle from the get-go but I think I had started to mention in the last episode that when I went to work for my dad um, and it was just like us two in a little office space that we rented he was like severely depressed and depression my family has a history of depression on both sides actually but not that any of us ever knew that because mormons don't acknowledge yeah or talk about it and especially with the males and up until the last couple years like it's been a huge to do that the apostles are talking about mental health and not in a you know brush it off kind of way but they're like and I, it's so funny when, you know, my Mormon family members are like, see, you know, we're, uh, what do they call it? Like, mo- not modernizing, we're but like, like progressive. Yeah, progressive. <laughs> Thank you. That's the word. I'm like, <sighs> like, after all this time, it's like, they finally give you this little, little nugget of like, mental health matters, but also it, it'll get better if you pray, but okay, we'll acknowledge it because of societal things. Yes. Like, <laughs> Like a salt bay. Like, here's a little salt in your wound. Does that yeah. taste good? And I'm like, no, it just kind of stings because I needed that, like, 
10 years ago right. and like when I was a child but okay fine now you're acknowledging it cool <laughs> yeah and that sprinkle of salt like barely did anything so but yeah. um he was severely depressed and nobody in my family knew so he was trying to you know carry on normally but a year or two before he had been released from the bishop like being the bishop uh, and when as they do like they put him back in normal callings whether it's like primary teacher or Sunday school teacher or something and something or a, a point that I wanted to talk about on here even outside of my own experience is um, the depression that the men deal with after being released from a calling like of that standing and so I'll get there in a second but my dad was very depressed to the point where I started taking on more and more of the work because if anybody has struggled with depression themselves, there are days and sometimes very long periods where you just can't. <laughs> like you and and I'm speaking from my experience too, like you know the things you need to do, you want to do those things, your life may be falling apart, but like you cannot get yourself to do these yeah. things like it's you're in a mental jail of some, of a sort and it's a very dark and lonely place to be and you know you feel kind of like you're going crazy so i picked up a lot of the slack at work for him and even to the point where i was like doing his church calling for him so oh, he was wow. in the like uh scouting or something when they uh -huh, were uh -huh. Boy Scouts. And I was like making spreadsheets for his like camps and like emailing people for him and stuff. But I was very concerned and um, it started to obviously like affect my parents' relationship. And they eventually, my dad separated, my parents separated for a little bit. And it was like, it rocked my family. Like it just, everybody, went crazy and um including myself because my parents like my family and you know the image that they want people to see is of this you know perfect very large very secure family and even I believed for a very long time like this is my try like these are my people they will have my back they're always there for me even if we don't agree about the religion stuff and I would excuse a lot of their behaviors you know because I love them and they are it's when you asked me to introduce myself on the last episode when I listened back to it I was like wow that's the first time that I haven't when I am describing who I am started with my position in my family like I normally say at the very beginning as like an identifier for myself, like I am the oldest of this many kids, you know, seven redheads. And this is how I identify. Like it's how I tell people who I am. And when you asked me, it was like the first time that I didn't start with that. And I was really proud of myself because okay. my position in my family is not my identity, not identity. you know, yeah. it has been for so long. So anyway, um, the depression got worse. My parents separated and <clears throat> my dad was very suicidal and he went up to Pine Top. We have a cabin up there and would you know I was the only person in the family that he was talking to at that point because everybody was so upset with him for 
separating from my mom from leave and for leaving. And uh, like, so they wouldn't talk to him, but he was calling me and telling me uh, very, you know, he needed somebody, but I'm not a therapist. And I also am your daughter and your employee and not really qual like capable or qualified to know what to do or to help. And so, you know, encouraging him to get help. I'm encouraging my mom and she had, you know, to her credit, she really tried uh, everything and very hard and like wanted to, to be able to connect to my dad and like help him because she saw the depression, even though he was in denial about it. And when she realized what it was, she was like, okay, this behavior, all this behavior makes a lot more sense. It makes sense why he's saying these things or why he feels this way. And, um, so she tried really hard, but me being in that position was, I don't even know. I feel like most people would have themselves committed and it got to the point where, um, because I was relaying all the information to my mom and everybody else and everybody's calling me 20 times a day to check and I'm trying to reach my dad and he's not answering and just told me, you know, he wants to X, Y, Z, just, you know, some suicide ideation and whatnot. And I was freaking out. Like my, I was having multiple panic attacks a day, trying to carry this business that provided like for my whole family and no feeling like my dad was going to commit suicide. And, um, it got to the point where I was having like these multiple panic attacks a day and I would come home from work and just like cry to my, uh, boyfriend at the time. He's my ex now, but we lived together. We had a house in Phoenix and I just like be in the fetal position on the ground. And he at one point was like, um, and this is maybe one of the best things he ever did for me, but he was like, okay, I like, we cannot go on like this. So either I'm going to take you to the hospital or you're going to therapy tomorrow. Like, cause I had never done real therapy before. And so that's like what, um, started my like self-healing journey really is because I didn't even know that I wasn't I hadn't even started learning about like how trauma affects your brain and how brainwashing changes like the neural pathways and how they can be rewritten but how much work it takes and like self-analysis and healing and all of that and so I met with this beautiful amazing I like think of her as like a fairy godmother because she's she's got to be above 80 and she has this like bright white like short puffy hair these clear blue eyes just the sweetest old lady but she when I spoke to her and um like listened to her I I I felt I was like my soul was like this is a very special person. Like she knows things that most human beings don't. She sees things that a lot of people don't. And so she, while she is a licensed therapist as well, she's also certified in Reiki therapy, which is, I don't know if you are familiar, but there's a lot of different ways for people to do it. She used rapid eye therapy and a lot of um, like visualization and like talking you through this whole it's so it's hard to explain, but it really, really helped me release a lot of this emotion and anger and um, 
she tried to help me separate my enmeshment from my family and like my parents specifically. And because she's like what they're going through and like is not your pain like you. But it was like physically starting to manifest because I was feeling all of that for like both of my parents. And um, the so she really was able to help me at least get to a point. I I actually need to go back and see her, but she she at least got me to a point where I could function and I could calm myself down when I started to get overwhelmed. And um, because she wasn't cheap, but I did a few sessions with her and would really actually need to go back to her. But the part I wanted to talk about was she told me um, she, I don't know, she is Mormon, like her whole family's Mormon, oh. her, her kids are Mormon, but I don't know if she believes it. Like some of the stuff she said to me was not Mormon. It was like stuff that Mormons would be like, okay, that's like a hippie Mormon or like, <laughs> we don't really believe that. Like, cause she, it's almost what she believes is like more than Mormonism. Like she had additional knowledge and thoughts on top of it. And then some of the things she said, she would kind of like brush off the book of Mormon. So my feeling was that she is, she is Mormon, but mostly for like her family and her kids and to help Mormons. So the part that's the, that just blows my mind is she is, and she told me this, she's contracted with the church specifically uh, to treat males that have been released from these high authority positions in the church. And I was so fascinated by that because I said, she's like, she was trying to explain to me that it's very, very common what happened with my dad. When he gets released, they're in these positions of power, right? So even a bishop is over a couple hundred people in their ward, state presidents over a couple thousand people in all the wards. And they are seen as, you know, a mouthpiece for God for these people. They're responsible for their well-being. They're a pseudo-therapist, like a a bank, a food (laughs) food drive, like all these things. And, um, and also expected to be great family men and keep up if they have a job, like be successful in life too. It is so much pressure on one human being and so much um, like ex- like such high expectations, unrealistic expectations really also because we don't even take into consideration like the fact that these are human beings who have, you know, sexual desires too. And oh, so right. yeah. they're just expected to all of a sudden like behave in an almost inhumane way. And um, then after the four years or whatever, is it four years for a bishop still? Uh-huh. And I think they can go a little bit longer if they get like re-signed or recalled. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's If they're a, a class favorite, they might get an extension. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. But so when these men are released and they have to go back to like a nursery calling or Sunday school or whatever, they are used to having like this power and authority and this responsibility. And then all of a sudden they're back to being a normal member of the church. And that process, that deconstruction process for them of not feeling um, important, or even it happens, she said to missionaries too, when they come back, feeling like I have to be a normal person in the normal world now, whereas I, I had this 
you know, uh, ridiculous but it, this idea that I was above that and I was on top of all this like worldly shit yeah, and yeah. uh didn't I was better than it and it's like but it's not sustainable to live that way it's not realistic and also it's like takes the Mormonism from an 8 out of 10 on a cult scale to a 10 out of 10 for those exactly. missionaries and like the bishop of people in authority positions that are expected to behave differently. And so she said, I'm contracted with the church because they send them to me because they know that they are going to be like severely depressed and anxious and in a state afterwards. And I'm like, so it like registered in my mind. I was like, the church knows that they're doing this to these men and that it is going to fuck them up mentally to the point where they have to have therapists like contracted to be able to send so many of these men to see them for the fact that their whole lives unravel afterwards. And it's like, but you got to be a bishop. You're one of the most righteous, like good on you. And meanwhile, they, yeah. And they, and they're like, and my dad's, you know, talking about suicide. And it's like, who gives a fuck if he was a bishop, if he's not here, like, And so it it makes me really angry to know that they do this to these men without any. Well, first of all, that they do it, but then they know the consequences of these actions and then they don't have any sort of like program or structure set in place for like maybe ramping a bishop up, like teaching him um, good uh therapy tactics not that I agree with any of this but there's just a better way to do right, it like, right. or even give them mental tools for like when you are released like this is going to happen and maybe they have some sort of program where they talk to them or or have some sessions or maybe they could talk together I don't know but there's none of that it's still this secretive I was gonna say it's secret it's not talk about like in two I think this is episode 209 in this many episodes it has never even been brought up on this podcast. That's like how much it's not talked about, like what these men go through, you know, and we all know that we suffer a lot of trauma from the church, but yeah, this is such a secretive part and all these men are just suffering in silence and they're probably yep. feeling like they're the only one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's no support group. It's not like the church isn't like, hey, uh, this this is a regular thing that happens and and to the point where we have a specific therapist that we want to send you to in your area it's like oh well okay you are oh that sucks well here's a therapist that's Mormon because we would never recommend one that's not right right and so here like go and see this person in secret again like don't it's, it's not spoken about and it, it infuriates me because, well, one, my dad experienced it, but then it's like, how many other men? And when my dad went through it, he was like, I know that this is um, well, like what happened with Grampy. And so my mom's dad, we call Grampy. And he, you know, can be seen as a little grouchy sometimes. Um, but after my dad went through his experience with depression and my family really had to be more open about it one because we're all nosy and two because we're enmeshed and too close to each other so (laughs) but we all had to learn a lot about depression one because uh I've dealt with it my dad's dealt with it and now like other people in my family are starting just as life comes up to experience it so but my dad was like 
this is what happened to Grampy. Like it was after he was released from the bishopric, at least from the stories I've heard from your mom, when, you know, he started getting just more irritable, like more angry, more to himself. And that he's never, he's been like that since because wow. he's from even a generation that there's no way in hell he's going. To right. Hell. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh. it, it's a thing and it's not talked about. And it's, it's like, okay, you, you guys make it seem like being a bishop or any position above that is like the ultimate goal for these men, right? Like the highest standard of righteousness. And in four years time, you completely unravel like their minds and their mental health. And yeah. you know that you do it and you don't, and you continue to do it and continue to tell people that this is the highest honor you can receive, even though you're going to want to feel like you want to die afterwards. Oops, yeah. sorry. So I'm, um, that was really hard, but the therapist helped me. She was able to help my dad and I, I'm going to operate under the assumption that she stays in it to, because who else is going to help these men? Really? Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, but the years went on, uh, oh, I do, I do want to interject the story I was telling you before, but, oh yeah. A little bit after, like, my dad got back with my mom, and um, I encouraged them to go to therapy, like, couples therapy, and to talk about stuff, but I'm pretty sure, and I know, but, like, they just brushed stuff under the rug and, like, kept going, and so, uh, I mean, I, I my dad did get some, like, help for the mental stuff, but in terms of, like, their relationship, it's more of the Mormonism, like, smile smiles you know like we're exactly. we're doing great and it's like but I can feel that you're not like and and your actions speak otherwise but okay if you're gonna keep professing that like it's not my life to live um after all of that came back my ex and I took a trip uh with a, a group of friends to Temecula and it was really fun there's a we were drunk for way too many days in a row but it was a great time and there was one point where everybody was had partied longer than I had and they were all asleep I woke up it was like before the sun came up and I was scrolling on Instagram and I had mentioned in the last episode that when I left the church I didn't deconstruct like it wasn't um I didn't look into the history of the church. It was all this internal warfare with my own beliefs and like the hypocrisy and not being able to make sense. And it was a personal decision. Like I'm leaving, but if it's for you guys, that's fine. And I never read the CES letter. I never like looked anything on the internet. To be honest, it was still that brainwashing of the um, information control tactic that the Mormons use where it's like, Anything that is not published by us or that you, you do not hear come out of our mouths, even if it's not negative against the church, has been influenced by Satan in yeah. some yeah. way, shape or form. Because obviously, because they're not Mormon. Right. So like right. there has to be they, they make you feel like there, there will always be an ulterior motive for any information that is about us that we didn't tell you ourselves. And it's, you know, a cult tactic called information control, but it's how they are able to move forward with all of that cognitive dissonance. It's that like when you're presented with information that conflicts with your beliefs, you literally, and I can, I can do it to this day. Just don't look at it. 
Like you just don't you just and I, I, I it's hard to explain that to people that aren't Mormon because they're like well aren't you curious and you're like yeah and you're like well don't you want to know and you're like yeah but but I'm also I, I'm scared because yes. I was conditioned to be frightened of something that might contradict something that I already believe or whatever it might yeah yeah don't question because if you do then you, it's like a gateway drug Satan's going to get his little toe in or whatever and however they always said it. And then, you know, from there, you just, it's a snowball effect. And so you are taught, like, if you realize that it's not coming from the church, you just click off the article, click off the picture, don't look at it or write it off in your own head as like, if it's somebody that told you something, you're like, well, that person's been influenced by Satan or, you know, like, obviously they don't know. And I it's such a weird thing that your brain can do literally to just deny like the existence of something. And I I I watch my family members do it all the time to this day. It's that whole, like, whatever that is, I am not going to acknowledge that. Uh And it's Uh it's a crazy psychological phenomenon to to be like, I am, I have the ability to deny reality, like to deny truth, to deny facts. And it's, and oh, operate no, no. with the belief that I'm right and you're wrong. Like that is crazy. <laughs> but that's bizarre. that's yeah. one of the. I feel like that's the uh, church's strongest um, manipulation tactic is that yeah. information yeah. control. Because think about the fact that all, all of the information is available to us now. Thank thank God to the internet. Um, and they will not look it up. Like they don't want to see no. it. They don't. They will. Even if it pops up in front of them, they're going to click off. And that's yep. crazy to me that yeah. they've trained us to be that way. I know. But, yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, so I never looked at anything myself. And this was, like, years. Like, I had been out of the church for six years at this point, probably. Okay. And it had always been, you know, just not for me, but I don't want to look into it. Maybe I knew that it was going to be a whole thing. I think my subconscious probably was like, remember how you spent the first 21 years of your life looking for these answers to all this shit that didn't make sense? Are you ready for it? It's going to be a bomb, girl. Are you ready? I think I somehow knew that. And I was like, no, I'm not ready for that. Like, I can't do it yet. I had to deal with the whole family oh, shit yeah. for so many years. I was just like, okay, so Temecula. And it wasn't that I sought out this information either. But back in the day on Instagram, you used to be able to see what your friends were liking or like uh-huh. what they were commenting. Uh-huh. I also got a lot of uh, men in trouble and maybe women, but because <laughs> their, <laughs> their ladies could see what they were liking and commenting yep. uh-huh. on. Why are you liking that picture of that girl's boobs? <laughs> yeah. And why did you comment the flames on her photo? <laughs> I totally remember that. Yeah. <laughs> but it happened that I was following Katie. I mean, obviously, but she liked something that the not so Molly Mormon Instagram account had posted. But this is before you had like announced or like on your personal stuff been. Yeah. I you kind of. Girl, I still, I still keep it separate. That's how, oh, okay. like, the fear <laughs> it has seeped so much in that I don't want my family to know that I'm like, I still don't promote it on my personal. <laughs> but I must have at some point liked something that we had posted on the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you, so I was being a creep and I was like, oh, what's this that she liked? And it was some meme about Mormonism that was fucking hilarious. And I was like, I just started down the rabbit hole. Like it was oh thanks to God. you. And no, I'm so grateful. But like, so everybody's sleeping and I was for hours, like just mind blown like I was go so I started with the memes and it's like this is funny this is funny oh and this is interesting what are they I wonder what they're referring to here and you know then certain documents that started to get brought up on so I'm going through other people's Instagram pages or like you know looking at other ex-Mormon stuff and I'm like what's the CES letter like what are these documents on the church website that are published but not promoted like all this stuff you guys are referencing so I just started deep diving oh, and man. my oh, friend, I, I, I'm surprised I made it through the rest of that trip because I was having like an existential crisis. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. just all the answers, all the answers. Oh, oh. I have been gaslit for 21 years asking all these answers. It's, it's, it was, I was so angry. I was like infuriated. I was, but I was like, there was like a fire in me because I yeah. was like, I knew it. I you fucking knew it. knew it. And you guys lied to me for so goddamn long. And, and the people that were lying to me believed their own lies, which is why they could do it so convincingly. But I'm, I still was angry. I'm like yeah. angry, yeah. just the whole situation and everybody. And for making me feel like for so long that there was something wrong with me or that I was not righteous enough, despite literally being teased for being a Molly Mormon. And um, I remember my ex woke up and I'm like, so he had grown up Mormon too, but had left when he was like a teenager and we met later in life. And I, but he'd never like looked into any of that shit either. So he wakes up and I'm like, did you know? I'm like, I'm loving on him as like the second he opens his eyes, he's like, holy shit. Uh, I'm like, still hung over. I'm gonna need you to calm down. And I'm like, hung over and just have Chelsea like, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And like, I'm a, you can obviously tell that I talk a lot and I talk fast and I get very like passionate about things. So I was just, I do feel kind of like, you know, you take a look back at the relationships that you've had and you're like, what did I do? What did they do? And while that relationship was a thing in its own, I am impressed with how he handled like me as I deconstructed because I don't really think he wanted anything to do with it. Like he didn't care that much about it because he knew from a young age it was bullshit and left. But for me, I was like, it was this validation and confirmation for basically being gaslit my whole life. It was like every answer to all the questions that I'd always had, every answer to like the holes in the story, the holes in the plot line, like the things that didn't line up that I've been asking these scholarly professors at BYU, you know, and, and just getting shut down over and over. So it was, but it, it went on for so long. So like, I mean, even after the trip, I'm researching, I'm like reading the CES letter and highlighting it. And I'm talking about this like nonstop. Like I'm just my poor ex. I'm like, and did you know that Joseph Smith and this year, I'm like, but they said it was this. And he's like, 
she's like, I don't give a shit. It's all bullshit. But I mean, it's kind of the same, like, with my partner, Scott. It's like, he was Mormon, but he left when he was really young, like a, a kid. And so okay. when I, like, want to talk about it, like, it's this is why I have the podcast, really, is because he's such a sweetheart and will listen to me, but he's just kind of like, well, yeah, but it's all fake. So, like, yeah. why do you... <laughs> I'm like, because I believed it for so long, they liked me, you know? That's it. That's it. It's like, because he would say that, too, like, why are you so upset? You haven't been in the church for this long. I'm like, but I thought this was true. I operated for over, <clears throat> excuse me, for over 20 years thinking that this was the truth, like that this is, it's like, um, you know how a lot of people are, uh, and I don't know if you're into this either, but like kind of waking up to the whole like matrix, um, whatever, uh, ideology, uh-huh. like that not to let yourself be manipulated by the people in power and to be aware of what's going on as opposed to like what they're telling you is going on and make educated decisions, da, 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 all that stuff. When people start getting hyped on that, like they're getting into it and they're learning about it. I'm like, imagine like, so you're talking to people and you're like, did you know, like the government does this and, and you know, this person is actually friends with this other politician, even though they pretend they hate each other and they're just manipulating us and trying to incite our emotions and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, you know, the anger that you feel when you learn that like things are not as they seem and that there are bigger powers at play and that like how you need to recalibrate yourself in your life and like what you understand about the world when you start learning about that. I'm like, imagine a matrix inside a matrix. <laughs> oh, it's the double It's the matrix squared. It's like, yeah. And, it, and it, you just get so angry because yeah, you find out that everything was bullshit. And then on top of that, I don't know if this is the same for you, but for me, it's like, I still have so many loved ones that are in it yes. and think that I'm the one that's wrong. Yes. And they're paying money to this corrupt organization. Mm-hmm. So- this corrupt church that doesn't get involved in politics, but somehow all of a sudden my rights are being taken away from me and there are lobbyists from the church and they're invested in just, I don't even, yeah, you guys have talked about the financial stuff on the podcast before and it just roused me up so much because they're like, oh, well, you know, we pay tithing and take care of our church so that we can take care of others. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's so that they don't use that money to take care of the people that don't have homes. They tell those people to pay 10% and that God will figure out a way to pay their rent. So I'm like, so they're not actually using your money for that. And, you know, maybe I know they're dispersing it how they do, but I'm like, they are a business. Religions are a business. And under the guise of, morality and spirituality but it's a business and it's to manipulate people and to make money and and even if it's not like to say we're millionaires or billionaires it's money is not the only form of power like what they want is power so it's like you can have like influence is power and yes money can get you power but more like your position in society is power they're meeting with the presidents of the united states they are in dc like they have the lobbyists they pay into campaigns certain people's campaigns they pay for promotions when you um you actually helped me remember when uh was it prop eight 
Is that what it was called, California? Yeah. Yeah. So you really helped me because you were very vocal about it. And I was, I just left the church and was trying to decide, like, what do I believe about this? I've been taught this my whole life, but let me take a look internally and see, like, and, and I remember having conversations with you that really helped open up my mind to, like, again, that concept of there's not one right way to be and there's not one right way to think. And uh, I appreciate you for being such an advocate in that time period because it wasn't like the internet and these podcasts were not as readily available. So if you did stand up and shout out about something like that, like it was hard. And I, I remember admiring you for that because I'm like, I'm sure she's getting a ton of shit from her family and, you know, people for saying these things. But to somebody like me, it was an example of like standing up for something that you believe in despite the consequences. Oh, and, thank you. No, so yeah. sweet. Yeah, I, that was, I think, the thing that like really, even though I was Mormon and then that happened, I was like, this is fucked up. Like, what? why aren't more people saying something? Like, that was a very clear line to me where I was like, yeah, no, I'm yeah. not okay with this. So thank you for recognizing that. You're welcome. Well, thank you for helping me. I, I was, yeah, impressed with your example. And, um, wait, I I wanted to take it. We were talking about the deconstruction. Oh, and our, yeah, our significant others being like, it's not that big of a deal. The matrix inside a matrix. I'm like, it is that big of a deal because when somebody finds out about like, society and our social class system and that home and all the matrix stuff and they're like you know shouting from the they're excited slash angry that you know so they're like I learned this information and and did you know about it and did you know about it and and you know wake up or whatever everybody's always saying and can you imagine like okay so when you do that in society today maybe some people are like oh, conspiracy theorist, or oh, crazy, or whatever. (laughs) But you have a lot of people coming back to you, whether it's the algorithms on social media or just because, you know, they believe the same things where they're like, hey, yeah, I noticed that too. Like, that's kind of weird. Or, oh, yeah, I've been seeing this and learning about it. So you have these people validating it. But can you imagine um, the matrix inside a matrix, like the Mormon matrix, when you start pointing out like, hey, I just learned about this and it's, that's kind of weird. Like, have you guys, the, it, it's this like um, attack. Yeah. So yeah, like, immediate, like, yeah, you're wrong. Shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It, the whole shut up thing. Like the, I, I don't even want to acknowledge it. So I'm going to need you to stop talking about it immediately. And in order to do that, I'm going to, you know, make you feel crazy or make you feel unrighteous or tell you you need to pray more or whatever. So to get out of the Mormon matrix is like takes like fucking superhuman strength because I, I explain it to people that are not in Mormonism. I'm like, think about how hard or how you feel kind of different from people now that don't believe that there are, you know, uh, powers at play that we aren't aware of in our government or whatnot. Imagine if everybody was like shunned you, told you you were crazy, told you need to be committed, like, and you were like, no, 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 like, this is true. Like, I finally figured this out, but everybody's telling you you're crazy. Mormonism, that, that second matrix inside of the matrix, I'm like, I don't know how we all got out. Like, I I, I think, like you said, so much of it is due to the internet, like, because the, the, 
the information finally became available to everybody, oh, yeah. even though it is hard to look at. So that's why a lot of people still don't look at it. But there, I think maybe certain personality types and like truth seekers are like, wait, like I can't just deny this any longer. <laughs> yeah, well, and thankful to the internet and social media, I would have never fully deconstructed. And I don't think I would have ever gone back, but deconstructing the church led to like the second evolution of my soul because I would have only stayed on this certain level and still been in like these toxic family dynamics and toxic relationships um, because maybe it was the anger at realizing the truth or maybe it was just finally being able to say, I knew I wasn't crazy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's been so cool to watch you go through it because I knew you before, obviously. And you've always just been really like chill and amazing and just the coolest person. But like, I noticed like a change in you once that happened. Like, and I didn't know specifically the moment, like you didn't reach out immediately, but then you did after a little while and you said you've been listening to the podcast and stuff. And I, I just noticed like such a change in you from that point. Like you're still you and the you I've always known, but you've just like totally like, it sounds cheesy, but you've like blossomed into like who you were always meant to be. And you're no, like, I don't know. It's just been really cool. Like to have that fire in you and been, you've been like, kind of like, yeah, I can finally say, fuck you. I was right. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that because it's, I I appreciate that you recognize that um, out of it came out of a level of I don't have the energy to give any more fucks and I'm angry. So like and also this like wanting to start exploring slash like stating who I am. Like I've been since I left the church exploring more and trying to, you know, figure out my identity and whatnot. But um, I didn't post a lot of it and I wasn't like as open or as uh, maybe as proud of it, you know, like I was still figuring it out and trying to. And I love that you said like you have, you know, you are the person that you have been because it's like my soul has always liked the same things, been a certain kind of way, been drawn to like certain things, but it's like my emotional intelligence and my, I don't know, strength of character that evolves as I learn things and try and heal from stuff. But yes, so you posted, I deconstruct, or you like shit, I deconstructed. I went through every goddamn episode. I was like, (laughs) I was taking notes. I was like, because I would want to talk to people about it afterwards, and everybody was like, oh, my God, like, we don't want to talk about this. And I'm like, well, you're going to hear it anyway, because I'm very angry and can't pay for the hours of therapy I would need. It was so cute, (laughs) listeners. She had, she literally had a notebook, and we would meet for coffee, and she, she's not lying, she literally had notes that she would take, and, and it was so cute. We'd go to these little cute coffee shops, and she'd be like, okay. No, this episode at this point. (laughs) I forgot I did that. But yes, I was so, I was listening like it was school. I was learning more from your guys' podcast than I had learned in any uh, 21 years of being Mormon. I'm like, see, now this makes Makes sense. sense. (laughs) 
this is a valid uh, argument. The puzzle pieces are coming together. <laughs> yes, but also like it increasing my fire inside yeah. of me with every puzzle piece that was laid. I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> yes, so many questions for you guys. So grateful for you and Sarah and like the humor, lightheartedness, crassness, brassness, sassiness that like you guys bring to a topic that is very painful for a lot of us because I know we mentioned there are other podcasts that are a little bit more serious and calm and I don't, and I'm sure that's good for some people, but in my experience with the people that I, you know, have a relationship with, you don't really feel calm after <laughs> deconstructing. And yeah. so yeah. I want to listen to people sympathize with Mormons or try and justify. It's like, I, we've been doing that. Um, yep. And I'm not trying to like promote negativity or anger, but I also don't want to shun those emotions and pretend that they don't exist because yeah. bubbles out in weird ways. Oh, exactly. And I, like you said earlier, I'm just over sympathizing with the abuser and, yeah. and we've been conditioned for so long to be like, just be kind, just say that, you know, you don't need to be mean about the Mormon church. You can just leave. It's like this toxic positivity thing. And I'm like, I'm allowed to be mad. I'm allowed to be pissed off about this. So yes, I, I think we definitely kind of embrace that. I'm so glad because it makes, again, it's like those of us that do feel that anger and are told even by just regular society, but all like toxic positivity is not, you know, just Mormons, but, right. um, it's, it's very prominent in Mormonism. Uh, but yeah, you're told like, okay, you need to let this go or like you need to calm down about it. Like, and while I'm not trying to be like promoting people to pump cortisol through their system all day, like with the stress and the anger, you, you do have to, you know, work through it slash figure out a way to channel it. Maybe you, I've always wanted to go to one of those fucking smash rooms. <gasps> Let's go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we just made plans on the podcast. <laughs> yes, we really are friends. And I know. Life. Really, really. I adore Katie. I wish, we, I wish I could hang out with her all the time. But she's also one of those friends that like if we go for months without talking and then we start talking again, it's like just like take right back up. Yeah. yeah nothing <laughs> happened. But so sorry. Back to worked for my dad. Mm -hmm. Depressed deconstructed my ex was tried to be supportive but was not nearly as angry as I was but I let's see yeah I think I don't think my journey has ever really stopped from there like uh ab about the Mormonism stuff because once I learned as much and I there's still more that I can learn but honestly at certain points in my life, I have to try not to be emotionally uh, riled up by Mormon stuff. If I'm like in a bad place mentally or, or you know, have need to focus on other things in my life, I I have to put all of that on a on a shelf even <laughs> for a little bit and come back to it because it is so much work, like so much work to undo the brainwashing to realize that, um, I think I mentioned to you earlier, but like, 
I've been out of the church for so long and haven't been ingesting any of their teachings except through, you know, my family and our relationships. But even to this day, you know, if I'm wearing something sexy and see somebody look at me, like a guy look at me or glance at me or whatever, it is still this poison in the back of my head that is like, you are like evil or you are sinning, you are tempting, like you are responsible for that. And that is attention that is a sin. That's not like attention for something that's good. And I have to, to this day, catch myself. And it's like that poison, getting that poison out of your brain is like we mentioned earlier, like it's going to be a lifelong journey. It's going to be a lifelong thing because or maybe it won't. I don't know. But I haven't gotten to the point where I don't have to think about it on a daily basis. Oh, I'm the same way. Yes. Even just going to the grocery store, I like the other day I wanted to just run to the grocery store and I was like, oh, OK, well, I got to like change out of these shorts. I got to put a bra on. And then I'm like, wait, why do I care if like like everyone has nipples? Who cares if they can like see it? But it's like this thing in your head where you're like, if I go out, I'm going to get this unwanted attention and like. I'm going to feel dirty or something. And or it's or like, something happens, then it's my it's fault, my fault. Yeah. for it. Yeah. By when like, we're still conditioned to think that way, even though like, yeah, you and I have been out of the church for a really long time. Our brains still trying to work through it. Yeah. And it's a lot of our society is um, religious too. So yeah. while it's not as extreme as Mormonism, um, I get into like a lot of arguments with people, <laughs> pseudo arguments, like I'm kind of joking, but I think they're offended. <laughs> but like I, I have a problem with pretty much all organized religion these days. Um, it's, I, I try to be respectful that it means a lot to a lot of people. And I understand they're allowed to choose what they believe and operate their life how they want to. But it, as soon as it starts impacting me or as soon as it starts um, or they think that they get to say anything, I'm like, if you open up your mouth, I'm going to have a lot coming out of mine. I've been you know, trying to be respectful of the fact that you subscribe to XYZ religion. But like, I have a lot of information for you because now that I've always... Uh, after deconstructing Mormonism, it led into, uh, I mean, like I've always loved history and I've always been fascinated with like other religions and like the history and journey of like paganism to Christianity and like, uh, Catholicism and the versions of the Bible. Like even when I was Mormon, I would try to understand the timelines, like when Solomon was here, what was happening here and like when, and I don't know why I just, I think I was interested in like the archeology, span um, the technology, like when, okay, so when did the medieval, like medieval oh, stuff yeah. start happening? Yeah. When did these art pieces be created? Like, cause it's all religion. And, and yeah. so when did the Catholic church come into power? How did they get into the governments? Like all of that, I really enjoy still learning about, but to see other religions, I haven't found one that doesn't yet, but I'm not saying it's not out there that doesn't use <clears throat> some to all of the same manipulation tactics that Mormonism uses. I'm yeah. like, 
I just can't. Like, I haven't found a religion that I respect yet because every single one of them, to my knowledge, from, and which is limited, but uses manipulation, it uses, uses coercion, uses like these um, yeah. brainwashing tactics to control their members. And I've never found one that yeah. celebrates differences and celebrates out of the box thinking and celebrates non-group thinking and like non-group emotional enmeshment. So maybe there is, maybe I'll start my own. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can have the, the redhead uh, religion. <laughs> I guess that's a lie because I did consider getting baptized into what's it called? The church of Satanism because they I'm, are the only ones that are doing that. Um, I'm so into abortion. Too. I'm yeah, like, yeah. that is, and I just fucking love that they're using like <laughs> religious yeah. people's own medicine against them. I'm like, well, it's a religious belief and you are not allowed to say what we can do with our members, just like the government can't tell any other religion. So I'm like, you know, for the first time, I'm considering getting baptized into a new I've, I've thought about it too. Their website is amazing. I'm oh, yeah. so into it. Yeah. Everybody look it up if you are concerned yeah. about the state of um, birth control and access in America, which a yeah. lot of us are, but yeah. uh, it made me feel a lot better. And I told a lot of my girlfriends about it too. I'm like, look, there are smart people out there. Like we we're, we can find each other and save each other and not let this society devolve into a, um, what's that show? Handmaid's Tale situation. I got into an argument with some of my sisters because they, this was a while ago, but they were like, it's just so fun. They like the show. It's so fun to watch, but it, like it would never, because it would never happen. I'm like, what are you talking about? We're like ha two and a half steps away from that happening. We're so close. We're so yeah. Close. <laughs> I'm like, these religious people that are getting power and start making laws based on their own moral beliefs and not the betterment of society or data or stats or anything. I'm like, and, you know, anyway, I won't go off. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but it just all comes back. It all, for me, at least, it's like all of these themes and messages in my life all circle back to, like, Mormonism and my experience and, like, my family. But after I deconstructed and um, I had – I broke up with my ex. We were together for a long time and I had to do a lot of like self-healing internal reflection after that because I realized that the relationships I'd had in my 20s um, were from the research I was doing in uh, like psychology and trauma. I was researching quite a lot of trauma at that point, um, or research based on, on tr understanding that. I was like, why do I keep picking the same or attracting like the same kind of relationships that mimic what I started to learn was complex PTSD. And um, PTSD, right, is when an event happens and it's so traumatic that your brain rewires itself to handle the trauma and you deal with that moving forward until you heal or have coping mechanisms. And complex PTSD is when this something traumatizing happens 
multiple times or over over an extended period of time and leaves you with the like post-traumatic stress so I when I was researching that I was like why I never had an abusive parent or like a narcissistic parent or like I thought so at the time and um most people that are in these kind of relationships, it's always because they had, or a lot of times it's because they had this type of experience in their household, like with their caregivers. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I remember, did I text you or called you when I had this realization? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, think I was sent like, me a voice memo. <laughs> I yeah. couldn't, there wasn't enough time to text it. And I'm like, I got to get this to Katie before it like get, leaves my brain and I forget it. But I was like really flabbergasted when I finally realized it's not, it doesn't have to be a parent figure. It doesn't have to be one of my two parents. It was, and I, in talking to other um, people that had left the church, realized that they were struggling as well with the complex PTSD. And we were all like, why? Like our parents weren't like this or necessarily. And I, finally realized and sent you the voice message is probably honestly in the shower while I was high because that's where I get a lot of my ideas but <laughs> I was like it's the fucking church I was like yep. as a figurehead like at, in our lives like they were above our parents they were the parent who told our parents how to be parents and who told yep. them how we needed to behave how we needed to look like they were our parent like the church as a figure itself was our yep. abuser and was the narcissist that gaslit our entire experience any of our questions any of our feelings invalidated our emotions like told us what we were experiencing as opposed to allowing us to voice ourselves or whatever and i when i realized that because i was like it was frustrating me that i couldn't figure out why i had these issues like where they came from trying to backtrack to heal i was i was like well which parent do i need to Right. Well, then finally, no, it's actually like through them, it's the church, yeah. like there was yeah. our abuse. And that's why all of us have the same trauma, yeah. um, like, yeah. you know, similar yeah. issues with it. And uh, that made me really angry, too. That made me, it gave me like a thing to be angry about, you know, or like a, a figurehead to be angry at. And I was like, it's so crazy. They have this effect on so many people. It makes me really sad. Um, and that those people don't realize that their brains are wired by like a puppet master, you know, that is pulling on them and telling them how to think. And if we only get this one life, do you want to spend it letting somebody else control your brain and your thoughts and your life and how it goes? Like, I don't know. We're not promised tomorrow. And at this point, if, if I do die tomorrow, I am very much more excited to experience hell and whatever <laughs> is involved in that than my fear of not getting into heaven. Like I, there's a meme that I was going to post and maybe I will when the episode goes up, but it said, um, how I sleep knowing I'm going to hell in every religion. And it's like the girl on the bed. that's yeah. just like, <laughs> I know I would so much rather go to hell than than heaven like especially mormon heaven no fucking oh thing. god <laughs> missionary work for the rest of your life i'm oh. like i'll miss satan having margaritas at the bonfire nudist dance party down there yes. so. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you all have fun with your missionary work. Oh, I know. Uh, have fun with I'm gonna be the party. Any alcohol or coffee, have a good time. <laughs> um, but opiates oh, are fine, but not weed. <laughs> oh, boom! She said it. Um, oh. So speaking of dancing, we're getting close to running out of time, but I want you to tell where you are now. Okay, so <laughs> my journey has taken a crazy turn uh-huh. <laughs> in a good and scary way. And um, so when I left my parents' company and um, put that boundary in place, like right now we're not speaking because they weren't respecting my boundaries and I had to put a harder boundary in place. Uh, I was trying to, you know, I took some time to process my emotions, you know, spent Christmas and New Year's alone. I had some friends invite me over to things, but I kind of wanted to be alone to like feel all of that and and not gaslight myself into thinking like, it's not that bad. I'm making a bigger deal of things like I'm overreacting, which, you know, I've, I'm prone to doing because you, you question yourself so much for so long that even to this day, like that poison is still in there and it's an everyday battle to overcome it. But I was gearing up to update my LinkedIn resume, start applying. And one day after the gym, um, I was just thinking like, I can go back into corporate America, you know, in tech, it's a, it's a good industry, pretty stable career. I can make enough money doing it, but it's not something that I feel passionate about. It's not something I wake up excited to do. Um, And after I dropped an atom bomb on my life for the third time and everything feels like it's falling apart, everything that I knew is, has fallen apart. And now I have to rebuild kind of like how you deconstruct, you know, you stop believing in something and feel like you're having an existential crisis and you need to figure out what you do believe in because you can't really operate as a human being without any sort of driving factor or right. like belief system or like why you're doing what you're doing. So um, <clears throat> I was like, well, what, you know, if I could have any career, what would it be? And all of the things were more aligned um, with like the arts or fashion or I don't know, fun stuff, stuff that I find fun. And I'm like, okay, but I can't make money doing any of those things really. Like you, it takes a long time to make money in an artistic field and, or like to have connections or your parents have a lot of money and they set you up or whatever. So I'm like, but I need it now because I don't have a job. Um, So reverse engineering, it's like, is there anything I can do that incorporates the things I love? Dance, you know, fashion, music, talking to people, connection, that kind of stuff. And um, I'm driving home and I'm like, I pull over to the side of the road and I'm like thinking about all of this before I go home. And I dedicated the day to like LinkedIn and resume shit. And I was, um, I got an idea and I was like, I felt a little crazy, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm already at the bottom. Like I I already blew my life up. So let me do something crazy. And I made a list of um, the top 10 strip clubs in Phoenix. And I, uh, you know, 
have always had this like fantasy bucket list of doing it and been obviously way too scared and way too concerned with what not only people in Mormons think, but like society in general. And, uh, but as I've like, as I've gone through this journey of healing through Mormonism and trying to understand more people who have different views and learning new things, I've met um, strippers or people who are in sex work and it's really opened my eyes to like the kind of people that are there or what they're doing or how they're doing it. Yeah, I love that you bring that up because I remember being Mormon and you're like, you're very judgmental of anyone who's in any capacity of sex work. And you're almost like, I was almost like scared because it's very demonized and you're taught that like, there's something wrong with those people. But then you leave Mormonism and you're like, um, those people are fucking amazing and very talented and usually so much more accepting than the people I used to be associating with, you know? And it makes you have to reevaluate. You're like, yeah, these are better people, but they're, you know, supposed to be evil or like yeah. doing Satan's work. And the people I know that are righteous <laughs> and like the best Mormons are not good people. Yeah. Like their heart, their actions are not good, even yeah. though they profess their, you know, the best of the best, you know, caliber of a human being. And I'm like, well, these people that you said were the bottom of the barrel, they're actually kinder, more accepting, more understanding of people's differences. So, yes, I'm glad you said that. I was (laughs) freaking the fuck out because I'm like, I I can't do this. Like, would I really do this? And what is everybody going to think? You know, like all those things going through my head. And then it always comes back to this point, like, do I give a fuck? Like (laughs) all all these people that I'm worried about what they think, are the same people that didn't show up at all for me when I was suicidally depressed, when I was begging for help, when I was asking for support or, and that have torn me down my whole life, you know? So why do I care that they think I'm this, you know, this person, or they're like surprised at what I'm doing? I'm like, I've been surprising people my whole life with these decisions. They never stop to, like being surprised and I'm, I'm, uh, it confuses me because I'm like, well, I've been, you know, blowing things up my whole life on this journey. I mean, metaphorically, but I also keep coming back to this, you know, when you are trying to figure out like, what's my purpose? Um, or like, what do I want my purpose to be? This message keeps coming to the universe or from the universe to me it's just one word and it's disrupt. (laughs) I don't know why really, because I'm like, well, I do now thinking about it and disrupt seems, it has very negative connotations. But when I think about the things I have disrupted, it's dark things that have a lot of, that have potential to be better or like dark parts of my family that I don't want to continue contributing to. And so everybody, you know, loses their shit when I disrupt. But for me, and I get to take a couple people each time along with me, it evolves into something more beautiful because we were willing to disrupt the norm or what's expected of us or how we're supposed to be, like disrupt people's comfort, really. Right, and, you're, uh, and you're like breaking that cycle. 
trying to. It's very difficult, but so I'm in my car. I have the list. I'm like feeling insane, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, let me fuck around and find out. Like, let me just try. Let me do this thing that everybody told me I can't do, I shouldn't ever do, I shouldn't want to do, and that is even outside of Mormonism seen as like, you know, like, oh, you're so traumatized, you became a stripper. Right. And <clears throat> I'm like, well, you can think that, I have been traumatized, but for me, I was like, I get to dance on stage and perform, and I haven't done that since high school, and I don't have the funds right now to take like regular dance classes, which, I would like, but I can't. So I'm like, I get to dance, I get to wear a costume, I get to like look as pretty as I can or whatever. Some Sometimes you, one day I didn't wear any makeup and it was like, I had this like ethereal, like angel costume outfit thing. Hell yeah. And like all yes. these things I, in my hair. I but, picture it. Like, yeah. yeah. Cause I have blonde eyelashes too. So you couldn't, it just looked very like fresh, but it's fun to kind of like be able to experiment and um, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I was like, okay, I get to wear a costume, dance, perform, talk to people, like get to know these people that everybody in society has demonized and like cast aside. And so I knew though, it was like a wild idea. And I was like, okay, I can either go home or I can go to the clubs and like. So you went right from the gym? Yeah, I was like sweaty, nasty, exhausted <laughs> and reading like all the forums and boards afterwards of like what to do, how to be a stripper, because I was like Googling everything. But uh, afterwards, it's like you're supposed to look your best. Like when you go in, obviously, you're supposed to look your prettiest or, you know, prettiest. And so <laughs> but I was like, I knew if I went home and got down and sat at the computer, I'm like, I will never have the balls to do this because it's a crazy like spur of the moment idea and I have the courage right now. So I um, figured out which one was closest on in proximity to like where I was parked. And the first one I went into, um, I practice witchcraft as my spirituality now, or it's my form of manifesting. And, you know, some people pray, some people meditate, some people manifest, and I use witchcraft to channel my energy and try to create the life that I want. But um, so I did my little witch thing in my car because I was scared as shit. And I saw a man in the front of the club and he's talking on the cell phone. I looked at myself in my rear view mirror and I was like, that man's going to give me a job today. And I was so nervous because I also have never been into a strip club before. This like, so wild. <laughs> I've only seen them on the movies. And so I had no idea what to expect. I was really nervous. And I'm expecting like dark, seedy, right. creepy, sleazy people. You know how you're taught to uh -huh. see clubs. And I walk in and it was, it's a very nice club. It was like, had a marble stage and the pretty lights. It was like decorated, very clean. It was like not super dark to where it was creepy, but more like Vegas-y. Uh -huh. Like, okay, you know? And then I like uh, get caught watching the girls and I'm just fascinated. And you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I've never been in one before. Uh -huh. So, and it's not that I was against them. I just never sought it out or had the opportunity to go to one. Um, but I, I, the manager sits down and he's like, hey, wh what's up? How can I help you? And it was the guy from outside. 
and I was like, I, are you guys hiring? And he was like, for what? And I was, I said, well, I will do anything as long as I can eventually work my way up there. And he was like, oh, you're a dancer. Okay, yeah, we're hiring dancers. Like, we can always use good dancers. And I'm like, no, well, um, I'm not really a dancer. Like, I've never done it before. He's like, oh, well, do you have your dancing license? I'm like, no. He's like, oh, okay, well, um, have you been a bartender? And I'm like, no. Oh, <laughs> been a waitress? No. Have you been a bus No. Have you worked in a restaurant? No. He's like, why the fuck do you want this job? <laughs> he's like, what is happening right now? <laughs> I know. He's like, I'm so confused. And I was like, me too. <laughs> no, not really. But I was, he's like, why do you want this job? And I was like, I need to do this for my soul. Like I need, and I didn't tell him this part, but I realized I'm like, I felt that same feeling um, as when I was at BYU, like my soul had died. Like I'd let people manipulate and gaslight me for so long that it, I didn't really know who I was. I didn't believe myself. And, um, when I, when my depression gets that bad and I start having suicide ideation is when I know that is what I call when my soul dies. Um, it's not vibrant. It's not full of life and excited to be here. So, um, when he was like, why do you want this? I was like, I need to do this. One, because everybody told me I can't and that I won't. And the, and two, I need to scare myself back alive. Like this is hands down the scariest thing I have ever done to me. I know that's not maybe some people who have faced death, but I'm like scared about getting up on a stage and like taking my top off. Oh so. my God. Like I can't even, I would be like shaking. I don't <laughs> I mean, or worse, <laughs> I just get up there and puke on everyone. <laughs> I, honestly, I'm like, it's, you operate from sheer adrenaline. Like, yeah. it's like, I have to pretend to be a different person. But um, it was a topless cabaret, so it wasn't like full nude, which made me feel more comfortable. And uh, he was after I told him that, like, I need to do this, he was like, what is your story? And I was like, how long do you have? <laughs> so he goes to get a cappuccino, sits down. I tell him my story and he looks at me and he's like, cool. So when can you start? Oh. And I'm like, oh, I, um, today I'm ready to go today. Oh, actually not today. I don't have anything to wear. So tomorrow. And he was like, well, you don't have to wear a lot, but <laughs> okay, you can start tomorrow. And uh, I had told him like, <clears throat> I was classically trained in dance growing up. So it's not like I don't know what to do or can't figure it out. I'm like, I'm really smart. I will take whatever job you have. I will figure it out. But like, I eventually want to get up there. And so the next day I came back and I worked there for about a month. Um, I hope to go back soon, but I'm working on some other projects right now that take a lot of my energy. So right. that there's a reason that's a young girl's game, Katie. I'm like, <laughs> my body, holy shit. Like, and when I say I was operating on adrenaline, I still don't know how I did that and like how I got the courage to do that because I would go up on stage and I'm like, it's the first time I've performed since I was 18 years old in front of anybody doing anything. And yeah. so, and it's like, so vulnerable, right? Cause yeah. you're, so you're expected to do two dances. The first one's just whatever. The second you have to take your top off or like incorporate that into your dance. And 
those girls are so fucking strong. They are so talented. I'm like, I just would watch them in awe, like we're trying to study and like learn new things, but it is no joke. And I'm like, it's, it's so exhausting. I'm like, it's a, it's a workout. It's a super intense workout. So I was really operating on adrenaline. Like I would do my two dances. I had to pretend to be a different person and be like, and I had to tell myself in my head, like guys, these guys think I'm pretty. Like these girls think I'm a good dancer. Like everybody thinks that I'm good, even though I'm not. Or, well, surprisingly, the first time I did a night shift, um, or like went in the night where it's more popular, the girls that are more uh, esteemed are there at night because they know they can make more money. And so also they're a little feistier than the girls during the day. The girls during the day were nice and good for me to like start with. The girls at night, like you, it's their money, like it's their business. And um, it was super flattering after my first performance in a night shift that a lot of the girls came up and like started throwing their money on stage. And I was like, I thought it was so that they could, the guys would get the hint and like also, well, people were tipping, but it wasn't like a lot, but I thought it was like to encourage them. So, and I was, you know, grateful for the support and they were like cheering for me and clapping and stuff, but <laughs> which have you ever pole danced before or taken a class or anything? I have, and it is very hard. It is I'm so glad you have. It is yes. so hard, Katie. And like operating on adrenaline, I did things that I'm like, should not have done that. I like walk off the stage and I'm like, bye back. But it, <laughs> it looked cool. I'm like, one time I tried a spin thing that I'd never practiced before. And I got too much momentum going like on the pole. And I just, I couldn't stop. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm like in front of so many people and I <laughs> spun down like, and just landed in the splits, like spun <gasps> to the split. Yes. I didn't know I could still do those. <laughs> and when I got up off the stage, my body was like, we didn't know we could do that either. And now we're about to make you pay for it. So it uh, really is like a young girl's game or a strong girl's game. And girl, I'm just, I've seen you dance on Instagram though. <laughs> and I just got to say, I am positive that you look amazing. Up there. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. Um, the girls, when I got down from my performance, I was trying to give them back their money, which is like <clears throat> super taboo in stripper culture. I didn't know, but I'm like, oh, I didn't know oh this is your guys's hard earned money. And they're like, what are you doing? You don't, you don't give people back money. You take <laughs> it. Like, even if you, you know, like that's their mindset They they hustle their business women. So I'm like, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, I feel bad. You guys are, it's like pity money. Like you can take it oh. back. And they were like, no, it wasn't. And, um, something that was really sweet. They were like, uh, you're very graceful. And I, I was like, I don't know how you can twerk gracefully, but thank you. <laughs> you're a graceful twerker. I can see it. I'm like a nice flow instead of like the jerk or something. I don't know. But I was, I, it was flattering. And they were like, what club did you dance at before? How come we've never met you? Like, where have you, what, how old are you? What are you, where have you been? And I was like, thank you. I'm, this is actually my second day in a strip club ever. And they were just like, what? And I'm like, yeah. So any tips you guys have, but, um, the night in between I, when I got the job and when I started, I was reading 
every Reddit board. I was watching YouTube videos. I was freaking the fuck out. And I was, um, I saw, there's also stripper talk, which I didn't know, like TikTok for strippers. And, oh. or like a, a hashtag that they all use to like uh-huh. post the videos. So I was going through those. And um, <clears throat> you are not supposed to, supposedly to get too close to your coworkers because you're all competing. Right. So it's, and you see it in the movies too. Like these girls, you don't fuck with them, you know, unless you want to be fucked with and I don't. So I was really doing it for, you know, to scare myself, um, to do something that people told me that I can't just like they've been doing my whole life. And I'm like, even society though, tells me that I can't or shouldn't do this. And and you did. Let me see why, like, why I, are they so scared of this? I feel like that would be so empowering. Did you feel empowered? It was very empowering. And, um, like I said, I hope to go back as soon as I get some things organized and I'm going to have to talk to the manager again and basically start all over. But, Um, the thing that was so impactful for me about that month at the strip club was not only how, um, I'm not going to go as far as to say kind, but helpful and, uh, motivational like supportive the other girls were like there were two OG stripper girls that were like they were known as like the queens and one of them actually offered like hey if you want to come a couple minutes early I'll work on some pole moves with you and like kind of show you because I think you can do it but you just haven't learned how right like to get all the way up there and do the things and I'm like I would love that but they were it was such a blessing I don't really like saying that word. Is there a different word for blessing? <laughs> I, I know what you mean. Yeah. It just feels too it's related too to religion. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, Heavenly Father, ex nay. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, not, can't say certain things without feeling like I'm attributing my life to something besides me. Right. And, um, but working at the strip club, helped undo a lot of the Mormon brainwashing about a a standard of beauty and also the judgment that the women and men as we talked about in the last episode like you can't wear red lipstick you gotta be your stomach can't move when you sit down like all this bullshit about controlling the way women look and their sexuality and the expression of their sexuality um you then, because you are so hard on yourself, you project that into tearing down other women, right? To make yeah. yourself feel better or, Because you're, I don't you're know. also tearing yourself down at, at the same time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is something I, I'm still working to undo. And luckily, I think I've gotten to a, a pretty good point. But, like, it, it, it was so conditioned in us. So, like, you need to look this certain way, act a certain way. Even, like, the way you walk and the way you speak and. How you, you sit? I can't yeah. sit with my legs open because no. it's not woman, yeah. ever virtuous. All I'm like, it. my hips hurt. I don't want to cross them. <laughs> yeah. We've been told our whole lives how we have to look and act. And I just think, yeah, to your point, like seeing that beauty can be anything that you want. And it comes in all different, all different kinds of beauty. Like, yeah, ugh. I don't know why they taught us 
that men or whoever you're trying to attract are only attracted to a certain type of woman or a way, way that they look because I'm there at the strip club and I'm seeing women of all different sizes, all different shapes, all different backgrounds, all different, like, uh, what's it called? Aesthetics, like the way that yeah, they look yeah. and do their hair. And there are people attracted to ev- all yeah. the kinds of girls. Like there were some guys that I'm too skinny for, like, or like too thin, like I don't have enough meat on me and they're not attracted to me. And that's okay because there are other guys who are attracted to me and maybe, you know, maybe they're also attracted to the curvier girls, but some of them aren't like everybody gets a preference and everybody, like we all have these different attractions. Exactly. It's as simple to me as like, yeah, some people prefer redheads, (laughs) but (laughs) like some people prefer blondes, whatever, but like, it doesn't mean that one is better. It just means that there's a variety or, you know, and all of them are beautiful. Yeah. And so watching these girls dance and even watching like the guys or girls, because there are females there too, that are into the females that are like, you know, a body, for instance, that my family would make fun of or shame and out of an insecurity of their own body and sexuality because why do you give a fuck what somebody looks like unless you're projecting your own unhappiness Uh, otherwise you just be like hey that's a person like you're not gonna like let me tear apart everything about her that I tear apart in myself but I'm gonna do it out loud and spread this black magic in the world and this gossip and this hatred instead of like appreciating differences and appreciating each other's beauty and so working at the strip club I'm watching all these different kinds of girls be friends with each other interact with each other flirt with the other guys and girls I'm getting rejected sometimes and it's like it's good for me it's good for me to not think that like there is one way to be and it's also good to be like it doesn't matter that that one person is not attracted to me because like we said everybody has their preferences and what they like and that guy is and so it's like it was this it secured my um well it helped my love for myself and my uh love for my differences the way i look or my flaws like okay and you you get so insecure in society even outside of mormonism mormonism in society and i can't speak for men because it's not my experience but we're not allowed to have cellulite we have to look 20 years old our entire fucking life like you can't have rolls in the wrong places or bruises or scars or whatever and i'm watching all these different kinds of girls and myself who has cellulite and is insecure about certain parts of my body just be appreciated you don't get up there on that stage nobody's tearing you down either they're not watching you because they're interested in somebody else or they're appreciating your beauty and your skills and so another aspect of working at the strip club that i talked to one of my girlfriends that's a psychologist about this i was like it's this weird social experiment for me too because i come from a background and we live in a society that is so judgmental and unhappy and lonely like everybody's lonely and a lot of people are sad and depressed and anxious and I go into the strip club and I'm you know 
very observational, just trying to learn my way around and watch the interactions, watch the girls, how they do things, learn from them. And I'm like, I came to this understanding. I was like, everybody is so lonely. And these people coming in here, um, girls and guys, you know, we're taught that strip clubs are seedy and they're vile and, you know, scummy or whatever. And my experience was that these people would come in looking for like human interaction and like looking to not be judged. And it was, I told my girlfriend, I'm like, it's the only place I've ever been in all of society, even outside of Mormonism, where you are not judged for the thing that it all ends up boiling down to, which is like your sexuality, your vulnerability, the way that like, uh, the way you look like for some reason for me, it always seems to come back to that sexual identity. And, uh, I think in learning about different religions, it's, uh, and like the history of how religion manipulates mass groups of people at the same time, we're also vulnerable about it and taught up until maybe even the last couple years. It's a secret. We don't talk about it. Like we don't talk about our kinks. We don't talk about our fantasies. It's shamed if you do. It's like right. nobody wants to know. And why? Like we are all this way. We're all, yeah. we all have preferences. And I even met my first asexual stripper. And I learned so much about human beings that are asexual. And I had no yeah. idea. And I was like asking all these questions, which maybe I shouldn't have expected her to educate me, but she was fine with the conversation and totally comfortable. And it, um, I'm like, these girls are not being torn down by society. They're like, we're like in this little protected place where we're doing the thing that everybody wants to do or like wants to participate uh -huh. in, but you're, you're, uh, it's like all the judgment is kind of left at the door. And so um, specifically talking about the guys, they would, you have your regular strip club guys, you know, that are there because they're horny and there's pretty girls dancing with barely yeah. any clothes on and they can pay for a lap dance or whatever. But there were more guys that, and I only interacted with a few girls, so I can't really specifically say, but I would get paid for just talking to them. Wow. And they were just, and I had on multiple instances, you know, you do your sale, like you try and get them upstairs because you can make more money with the lap dance upstairs or whatever. And uh, they were like, honestly, like I don't, they had already paid me and I'm like, oh, did you want to go upstairs? And they were like, no, I'm just grateful for the conversation. Like, thank oh, you. Wow. Or like I had a really hard day and didn't think anybody gave a fuck. And so thank you for asking me how my day was. Oh. And it was like, I just was, it changed my entire mind about um, everything I've been taught with Mormonism and even with societal influence, um, influencing your opinions about all of this. I was like, these people are lonely and they want to be seen and validated and isn't that what i've always wanted like this Everyone whole time wants? yeah yeah to yeah. be heard or to say like i see you and you are here and let's have a genuine human interaction and i had some people that were like ew lap dances that's so creepy like i don't want to i can't i couldn't do that it, and i'm like it's okay if you can't do that but 
I've experienced way worse at like high school dance parties. I'm like, this is, <laughs> at least in my experience, I'm like, <laughs> I know, at least you're getting paid versus like some like, gross guy just like grinding up on you without yeah, your permission. Up. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, at least I know what I'm getting into now. Like I'm going into it knowing the purpose of it. And yeah. um, so I, it really doesn't weird me out. It's okay if like other people are uncomfortable, but for me, it was this beautiful experience, honestly. And it's like the opposite of what everybody tells you it's going to be. And it just, um, you know, reinstilled my belief that I don't want to be told how to think or how to be or that there's a right way of thinking and being and looking and what you prefer. So... Um, yeah, the strip club was my very eye-opening experience of let me not, let me try my hardest not to judge anybody because sometimes I would have these interactions with people and I met like a grand chess master one time and he was, I'm like, I don't know if you know about chess, but that is like very impressive. And I was flabbergasted. I was like talking to him. I'm like, what? And I like totally nerded out. And one of my girlfriend's came over she was like there's this rule with like 10 minutes of talking um and if they haven't mentioned like a business transaction you either need to like wrap it up or push harder so she kind of like is like the 10 minute thing like nudging me and it's not a rule of the club you can talk to somebody however long you want it's just like a good business practice but I was like shooing her off because I'm like I just met a grand chess master like tell me everything (laughs) and we spent a long time talking and he ended up yeah paying me for just talking to him but I would never have thought that he was that from looking at him and I probably would have judged him in society way differently than him being able to open up in the strip club in a place where no kinks are shamed, no bodies are shamed, like no sexuality preferences are shamed. It's just come as you are. And this is the place where regardless of who you are, what you like, your money is money. So these guys that um, I had a few friends, guy friends that have been to strip clubs tell me like, yeah, sometimes this is the only interaction with, um, maybe a girl that's really pretty in their eyes that some of these guys get and without being made to feel gross or unwanted or like a creep and you think about it and it's there's those jokes on the internet like what's the difference between a stalker and your crush or whatever and it's like well one of them I find attractive and oh yeah yeah <laughs> and uh so I thought about that a lot and I would make a special effort to go to those men that probably had a very similar experience with their body image or how they looked or how tall they were or whatever, uh, they get judged in society and by females and are written off a lot, but doesn't mean that they're not cool or interesting human beings. So, so your money is your money. It doesn't matter who you like, what you look like or what you're into. It's you get to be non-judged and have a transaction without being judged. And, you know, it's, I don't know. It was a great social experiment for me. And I hope, I hope to go back. There's so much more to learn. And I really did love the girls. I like loved the people that I worked with. I loved the thrill of dancing again and being able to express myself in a sexual way when, where it was appreciated instead of torn down and shamed and guilted and coming back to, um, 
the Mormonism, hold on, I was gonna, <laughs> the, I was saying like the adrenaline um, and scaring myself back to life. Shit, I lost my train of thought. But great experience, hope to go back, uh, cannot wait to go back because it made me feel alive and it made yeah. me feel free again. Like that, whether just inside the club, but I was like empowered. And even moving forward in other areas of my life, I felt this reignited sense of empowerment that like, I get to say who I am and uh, I get to decide how my life is going to go. Even though everybody I know, well, I'm not going to say everybody, a majority of people I know and have lived my entire life with will probably uh, shun me and, you know, uh, outcast me even further than I already am. But I'm like, I already am though. I'm already doing things that people don't like or don't agree with and have been for a long time. So go ahead, do some more, like yeah. the rest of y'all. But the crazy thing is that I have people like you, I would say a handful of people in my life where I was nervous, you know, to tell them these things that I was doing this and their reaction was so great. It's like, fuck yeah. Oh yeah. my God, that's awesome. I and I I remember the call when we were on FaceTime and you told me and it you told me that whole story and I was like, Oh my god, fuck yes. Like yes, 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 you're so perfect for this. And like I just remember like so I didn't know that that's what you were doing at the time until we had that FaceTime call. But like yeah. looking back, um, like seeing kind of like the things that you were posting on Instagram and stuff, I was like this woman is going through some kind of revolution, like some kind of awakening happening. And I didn't know what it was, but then you told me and I was like, it all makes sense. And it's so perfect. And I'm so happy that I could be one of those people that you told and was like supportive because hell yeah, you should be supportive of that. Like, it's amazing. Well, I'm so grateful that somehow in this journey of healing, I have been able to find really special souls like you that are also on your own like hero's journey is kind of what they referred to it in like the spiritual awakening world you know like you are trying to evolve yourself constantly be a better person today than you were yesterday learn something new that changes your mind or makes you question your beliefs so either you're sure or you evolve and um it was so I don't know, like I, I was surprised. I was, I was preparing for the experience that I've had my whole life when I do something that feels right to me, but that other people don't agree with, or it scares them, or they judge. And to have you, a handful of other girlfriends, even some guy friends, and the person that I was dating, like just, be so supportive and excited for me and like oh my god fuck yeah like you're you would be so good like I'm so proud of you I um I'm like okay you get overwhelmed thinking that there's so many Mormons or Mormon minded people in the world and you can get really down on yourself and your journey um, and discouraged and disheartened. And 
but there are these like light souls out there that are also trying to heal themselves but recognize in another person like when that's happening and are supportive and you think about it and um we've undone that mormon conditioning of shaming and hating ourselves and i'm gonna relate it to like your sexuality because there's a lot of other things that they guilt and shame but that one feels like it's the most like it seeps into everything yeah you know, and maybe it's because it's like the second driving factor for humans after survival um, biologically. So maybe it's they're like, OK, well, it's vulnerable and it's the second most important thing. So let's, you know, let's control, control it and smack yeah. it down and, box it and in. shame it and yeah. teach everybody else to do the same. And I think all the people that, you know, when they hear this or if they have heard it, that have uh, been negative or judgmental um it comes back to like loving yourself oh because for sure you yeah. and everybody that's been supportive have either been on this journey of trying to heal and love yourself and find who you are authentically are and express that or they're already loving themselves i'm like but mormons it's so much internal hatred projected onto oh, 100 yeah, I was just thinking about like when I was Mormon, how I would have reacted if a friend told me that they were, you know, working at a strip club. I would have been so judgmental and it would have not gone well. But what that is, is that internalized shame projected mm -hmm. outward of like, I couldn't do that. That feels wrong or sinful. So mm -hmm. I'm projecting it on you. And then once you learn to undo that, you know, that fuckery that's in your head. <laughs> the poison yeah you, then you can stop projecting and stop shaming others because you're not doing it yeah and it's like are you happy is this making you happy then i'm supportive if you're not tearing down other human beings or being you know just rotten whatever you want to do is yeah. it making you happy is it fulfilling you then i have yeah. nothing but support for that but that's because you love yourself and you're um, in the previous episode, I mentioned how people were from the ward started coming at me and I was surprised, like, why are you taking the time out of your life when we haven't spoken in so many years to write me a message or try and shame me? I'm like, it's so much energy wasted on projection of self-hatred that you could use to turn back and heal yourself so that you love yourself and you're living a happy, fulfilled life instead of trying to tear down people who you see trying to do the thing that you either don't have the courage to do or are too scared. I yeah. think that's kind of the same thing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for it. And I haven't, uh, I haven't been back in like a month, um, it's coming on like a month and a half because I also, <laughs> started an OnlyFans. <laughs> I know. I have had people ask me before, like if I had one and I was always like, no, I don't like no judgment, but I don't. And, but I've been making these videos for years, like, and I don't post them anywhere. It's, and a lot of the times it was just for me. I would like put on a costume or an outfit, set the scene, pick a song for the music, like do a dance, whatever clip the video, edit the video, and I'd just be like, this is cool. 
and it's just like there. Sometimes I would send like a picture or a little snippet of it if I was like dating somebody or interested in them. But uh, most of the time it was just for me, like a creative outlet. And so when I don't, when I didn't have a job and stripping is not a super stable income because you could be there all day and make 50 bucks and you could be there for two hours and make two grand. Like it's, so it's really up and down. And I was like, I need some additional streams of revenue. Uh, and I'd been reached out to by a few management companies, just like from Instagram or people that knew me and I'd always, you know, turned them down. But as I'm, as I was thinking, like, what can I do to make money? I just, I had this goal, how much money can I make in the next two years? Like, regardless of what anybody fucking thinks about what I'm doing. Like that is my goal. How much money, because I have other goals that I want to um, build in my life. And at this point, I'm not living a traditional life. And I don't think I ever will. Uh, It's not because I- You're not a traditional person. (laughs) (laughs) That's sweet. Thank you. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting a family, being a stay-at-home mom oh, and bringing beauty and fulfillment in that. Oh my God, I think that, that moms, stay-at-home moms, like all kinds of parents, they're incredible yeah. and I couldn't do it. And I, but so yeah, I think that's wonderful that people want to do that because I'm like, ugh, I, know I get tired just thinking about it. <laughs> same, I'm like, where's my church of Satanism because yeah. you all go without birth control. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, it's yeah um so i don't i don't know if i will ever get married and i'm not like too worried about it i i want love though like i want love and happiness and i don't really know what that looks like cuz i've been told it has to be shown this way and i don't really believe that anymore so i'm kind of in the yeah. It's almost like I deconstructed and I'm trying now with my sexual identity and my love life and sex life. Yeah. Like to figure out how I feel loved and what, how I can love myself because that, that's what it all comes down to is like, I attract people on the same vibrational level. So if I haven't healed and I don't love myself at a certain level, I'm going to, be unaware that the people that I'm attracting are only going to like love me at that level too. So, uh, I think it's beautiful that you're like reclaiming again, like just your life in general. And like, cause we growing up Mormon, really the end goal is to become married and have kids. The only and goal. so like, it, so, you know, that's a big deconstructing thing. For, for people leaving the church, it's like you leave the church and then you have to figure out, wait, do I want that? Or was that just hammered into me? Like for my whole hammered. life. Hammered. <laughs> so what then your dream wedding look like? I'm like, do I want to get married? You weren't allowed to really even question if you wanted to get married. It was like, no, you want to get married. This is how you're going to experience love is to get married and be a mom. And it's like, for some people, that's not what a happy life is. So like, being able to kind of step back and question like, okay, I was told for 30 years I need to get married in order to be happy, but wait, do I though? Yeah. So yeah. Do I have to have kids if I'm gonna be 
a human being. Like even the even the guy from the tech company story that I told on the last episode, uh, demonizing me for being selfish. Yeah, you're selfish because you're single. Okay. Selfish because <laughs> I'm single, and I'm like. Or I just haven't found a guy that I want to be with yeah. for that long. And or, some people just don't want partners. That doesn't make them selfish. Like, or yeah, or like you said, like they're searching, haven't found the right person. Yeah. Yeah. And aren't feeling that pressure of like, even outside of Mormonism, you get that. Like I, ha- when I was with my very serious ex, we had a group of friends and I call it like the sorority mindset. Um, it's still this very like, did you get married? Did you get a dog? Did you buy a house? When are you gonna have your first kid? When are you gonna have your next kid? Do you guys have life insurance? Like it's just this very formulated way that everybody thinks you have to be happy, even outside of Mormonism. Yeah. And um, you know, they'd all be talking about these goals. I remember like one girl gave her fee- her boyfriend an ultimatum about like when he had to propose because she was not gonna turn a certain age, like 30 without being married or something. And I'm sorry, I- but that's not what love is. <laughs> if you have to like blackmail or ultimatum somebody into, you know, proposing to you, it's like, don't you want him to want to propose? Yeah, I'm all... <laughs> live your life girl but oh. she was trying to convince me to do the same and I'm like well I don't know if I want to be married to him like I don't yeah. if I do I'll figure it out but I probably won't give him an ultimatum uh, <laughs> but it's that I call it the sorority mindset because I'm like you're not Mormons but you all think the same like you all want these uh statuses in society like yeah. the, it's the check boxes you didn't have a Mormon checkbox list but it's very similar like society's expectation of how you should live your life or how to be happy and the thing you see is some people who consciously chose like I do want this I do want to have a family and a house and kids and the dog and xyz and when they are conscious about that decision they are happy like oh yeah and they thrive in it yeah yeah. Even if, um, you know, it's life is stressful well, and they're not hardship. Yeah, exactly. but I can I can feel a difference in the way they talk about their life, in the way they project their judgment or non-judgment about other people who may be different. Um, I just went to brunch last weekend with a girlfriend that I haven't seen in a while, and she was very supportive of this whole journey, too. She is a mom of two. They weren't her and her husband weren't Mormon and they came from these like really crazy backgrounds, both of them. But when they met, they both had the same goal. Like we want to build a family because they didn't have, um, very good home or family lives growing up. So they wanted to build that for their kids and and create that for themselves. When I talked to her about her life, her kids and her fulfillment and happiness in that journey, it's a completely different conversation than when I talk to the girls with the sorority mindset or Mormons who are like, yeah, I love my kids, you know, or, and you're like, oh, that was, like, oh, that was you really scary. want them? Yeah. I mean, to me, I can think of a lot of people like that, that it's like, oh, did you, you know, you got married really young and you got married in the temple because you felt like you had to, and then you're constantly I like see you bickering constantly versus like, like someone like Sarah, my dear, sweet love, Sarah, like she, 
she actually chose, like she left yes. Mormonism and then was like, okay, I'm going to have to really think now. Do I want to get married? I have the option to not. Yes, I do want to get married. Yes, I do want to have a child. And it's like just so much more, um, what's the word? It just seems so much more genuine. That it's, like, it's purposeful. Oh, I chose it. And authentic because she yeah. had, and I thought about Sarah too earlier when we were talking about her being a new mom. Congrats, Sarah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she, when, when you deconstruct from that and you have to figure out what do I want? What do I believe in? Who am I? It may still be some of the same things, but it's your choice and yeah. not because somebody told you this is yes. the for happiness and it's the only formula for happiness. So yeah. And your kids can feel it, yeah. though. Like, kids are so perceptive to energy. And I I know my I know my mom wanted to have kids. and But I don't know how much of it came from uh, the Mormon teaching that this is the only way to be of value as a woman. And this is what is going to make you happy. And the people that are like, oh, have a having have a kid so that you can experience unconditional love have a kid so there's somebody for you when you somebody to take care of you when you die and it's like none of those none of the reasons that people give me for why I should have kids are seem very good reasons to have a kid it's not like I want to create this family unit I want to help raise the next generation and to uh yeah, there's a lot of yeah. different reasons that my girlfriend was saying that she and I'm sure Sarah, I chose to have this and I have reasons why I chose it as opposed to the other people who are like, I, I did this. As to this. To. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, you can feel it like you can feel whether your parent is purposefully brought you there and reacts in a way with like love and understanding or whether your parent did something that they didn't want to, I don't know that they didn't want to do it, but because they felt they had to, they didn't flush through the idea is what I'm like. They didn't flush through right. it in their own head. They were like, they're subconsciously living. Like they want somebody to tell them how to be, how to act, how to be happy because it's a shit ton of work to figure it yeah. out. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Yes. That have left and deconstructed. It's a lifelong process from there. Yeah. Because it's like, now I have to choose purposefully and with intent who I am, what I'm doing, how I'm going to be happy. And it's so much more work. It's harder. And I think that's harder. Like, don't want to do it. They're like, yeah. okay, government, okay, church, like, tell me who to be, how to be, and I'll be that. But then why are y'all unhappy? Like, why are, just like you said, you, why are you bickering? Why don't I see you genuinely interacting with affection? And I mean, you can feel it. I know there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's not tangible evidence, but I don't think no, your no. audience is stupid. Like you guys understand. Yeah, energy. yeah you guys know. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> They're probably all picturing like those couples that we're talking about. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Why do you guys even like each other? <laughs> yeah. You're like exactly like. And sometimes I'll see people um, who, like, even outside of the church, well, especially inside the church, but outside of the church too, who they're they made maybe they made a decision, maybe for the right reason, maybe because they were told to. But down the road, it it boils up. And 
they don't seem happy genuinely with their decisions. And I've had some of these girls and I don't, it's, it's a weird thing in my head because I don't want to judge them. I want to have sympathy for what they're going through, but you all were the same people that judged and shamed me and have done so up until the point where, and it's happened more than once, multiple times, they come to me and they say they want to be introduced into this life, you know, or they want to, they're like, let's go get a drink. Like, let's hang out. Let's go dancing. And I'm like, I want to support you. Um, I'm, I'm glad I'm the only like non-Mormon person that you know, and you reached out to me because you feel comfortable doing that. But it's hard for me to forget everything that happened and to not feel triggered by you guys um, because of how much you shamed me for being different for so long. And now you're coming to me and asking me to help you or asking me to be your friend because you're judged in your Mormon community. You don't know what to do in your marriage. You got married too young, are unhappy, or you guys are different. And the part, even outside of Mormonism, people are afraid still of what's going to be said if they do, if they go against the grain. If I get divorced, I, you know, people will stay in these marriages, even outside of Mormonism, especially inside of Mormonism, and they're so unhappy. And they bring kids into this unhappy, toxic environment because they are too afraid to make the changes that would bring happiness and authenticity into their life because of what people will say, because of how society will judge them. And so this whole journey for me, leading up to the stripping and the OnlyFans, I've, I'm like, let me keep doing the things I'm not supposed to do, supposed to. Because every time I do, society's told me this is bullshit. Religion has told me that this is the bottom of the barrel, but I do it just to fuck around and find out, to see how brave I am. And I always learn beautiful things, meet beautiful people, have a beautiful experience and end up more evolved like myself. And so now I'm like, maybe I should try all the things you've told me not to do because apparently, well, for me, doing that and overcoming that judgment of like what I'm afraid of, people will say, even with this podcast um, being the first time like that I have been able to tell my story and not, I, I am still worried about what people will say. You know, like the journey, the healing from Mormonism is a lifelong thing yeah. and it's an everyday battle. Just like you said, you still have those thoughts in your mind and it's a, it's a poison or like a weed that's roots are so deep. Like we were born into it and it's been ingrained in us from everybody for so our whole community and even outside of the Mormonism like society. Uh, so I am, and I'm enjoying doing the things that you're not supposed to do. I'm enjoying doing the things that everybody who is not like you or the other beautiful souls that have been really supportive, um, 
you're supportive because you're happy yourself. Like you're working on yourself and you can be happy and supportive of me. But society, everybody's just judging each other because they don't want to do the hard things or be judged for for making themselves happy. And um, with the OnlyFans, I don't do, uh, well, I haven't posted um, porn or anything super explicit. It's like, just kind of like the strip club, like mostly dancing, (laughs) sexy videos, sexy pictures and stuff. And so the marketing tactic has to be a lot more intense. And I, it's, it's finally getting up and going. I have a lot of a backlog of content. I've been making this stuff for years. It's very enjoyable for me, but um, because I'm not super explicit and willing to do certain things, which it's fine if people are, but for me, I'm not very comfortable and I don't want to do something I don't I don't feel comfortable doing. I want to make those conscious decisions. And it was a very slow start. And I was like, had so many doubts, Katie, like I was just, uh, all of that poison, you know, comes back to you and is like, well, you know, you, you did the evil thing. It's not, it's not going, um, how you thought it was going to go. And you're not the person that you thought you were. And, um, when I told my brother and sister-in-law and I was like, should I tell them? Should I not tell them the ones that have left? they had the same response as you, which is really crazy for my, to think of like my brother, but he was like, fuck yeah, I'm so proud of you. And I just started bawling. I was like, I you know, did not expect that response from him. And he was like, do it, fuck them. Like put it on your personal Instagram. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. And he's like, why? He's like, you're doing the things. Don't let that poison get back in your head. Don't let them, their hooks get back in you. Mormons or society, like move forward with your authenticity and be loud about it. Because um, the part, like the part that I really wanted to mention at the end of this podcast is uh, I feel with the theme of like disrupting for me and my life and my chosen destiny because I don't believe in a preconceived destiny for you that you like have to figure out what a higher power (laughs) is is telling you to do. I'm like destiny is a creation that comes from the inside and you manifest it out. But for me, with the purpose of disrupting these unhealthy patterns, toxic behaviors, and um, maybe it'll even be outside of Mormonism, but specifically, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, like when you leave, and I think you mentioned this before, you want to save the other people like that. uh, You want them to know the truth. You want them to be free as well. You don't want them to be brainwashed in a cult. And my brother and I, uh, when he finally left, because it was years after I had, we would have these conversations. How do we free our family? How do we get, how do we tell them the truth? How do we show them what they're being blinded by? And because of the um, information control tactics and the manipulation the church uses, it doesn't matter how loud you scream the truth about the church. It doesn't matter if you show them every document of proof, they will turn away and say, 
I, you know, whatever that is, I'm not looking at it, I'm not addressing it, and I'm going to label you as crazy or insane or Satan got to you. And I feel like you've talked, you guys have talked about it on the podcast, um, the toxic positivity. Leaving the church, it's also like you feel you're so angry and you have all these emotions, but it's like if you show them, then the Mormons come back and be like, see, I told you you were unhappy and Satan was getting to you and, you know, you're living this life that's just falling apart. And I'm like, so are you. You just are pretending to be happy, though. Yeah. Like you just like you said earlier, life, however you choose it, is stressful. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in the world. And I'm like, just because I'm not pretending to be happy like you are doesn't mean we're not the same. Yeah. Like you have stress in your life and honestly, maybe more unhappy than me because you feel you have to overcompensate and can't show it. Otherwise, you're evil so, or, you know, a sinner need to pray more and uh, maybe pop out a few more babies. They'll complete you <laughs> as your purpose as a woman. But we came to this conclusion, my brother and I, we were like, because we were like, should we have a family council? Should we like sabotage them with an email where we just like, they have to read the documents, you know, and trying to think about all these different ways to free our family. And you get frustrated and uh, discouraged because it feels like there is no way. And really with cults and any framework that like society has instituted to control people and manipulate them um you people have to choose to leave it has to be an internal thing like they have to you cannot drag them along your journey you can send them love but you have to take care of yourself otherwise you go under and you have to keep forging forward and so we came to this conclusion that the best thing we can do is to live by example. And even though that like is pseudo a churchy phrase, um, I back to the, the story of posting the picture of wine when I told my mom, I want my sisters and people to see that you can be happy, fulfilled, not doing what Mormon religion or society has told you you have to do, not being that way. There's not one way to be, not one way to think, and not one path to happiness. So I want to, but I want to help other people, right? Like you guys have this podcast and it's reached so many and helped so many of us feel not isolated, Um, and not crazy because other people have the same feelings and experiences, but I want to do something too. And I don't, and I really feel, (laughs) uh, makes me so nervous, but I feel like it's something to do with the sexual expression and loving yourself and the non-judgment of other people and their sexual expression. And it, it, encompasses a lot you know like what you look like who you like what you do who you spend your time with how you talk what you post online what you're interested in and I'm like I think maybe I need to be the pioneer of it's so fucking scary Katie like I'm so scared I just don't know anybody that's ahead of me that I could look to to be like, how did you heal from this? How did you um, rewire your brain from this aspect of the Mormon poison? And I feel that 
uh, I mentioned it to you before, one of my really good girlfriends who's also left the church, we talk about how we're the first generation, even um, outside of Mormonism, but in society, like us millennials, I think, and maybe the, isn't there somebody in between millennials and boomers? Uh, Gen X? Gen X. Maybe part of Gen X, too, that it's like we have the choice and the freedom not to live this prescribed path. So before, you know, women couldn't have their own bank account and they couldn't own property and they couldn't have certain positions in companies. And that's outside of Mormonism. So we're the first generation in Mormon Mormonism and outside that is like, let me see if that really is the only way to be happy or we have the freedom to explore and figure out, do I want a family? Do I not want a family? Do I want to be single? Do I want to be married? And so I'm like, I haven't found anybody that's ahead of me on that journey of healing from the complex PTSD of Mormonism and trailblazing this, like, I do not care what you think of me or what you say, because I'm secure enough in my path. And I've chosen this for specific reasons, whether you understand them or not. And uh, with the disruption, I'm like, for me, it's been coming back to this sexual identity and this sexual expression and this like non-judgment of other women and other people who may be different or like weird things or whatever. And so I want to move forward with the OnlyFans um, and hopefully get back into the club. But also, my, uh, I started working with a management company finally because, like I said, understanding the algorithms of like 20 different social medias feels like I was drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> like of information and just I'm like holy shit and people are using AI to automate a lot and I'm like it felt like so much to learn and I was like I need to make money now like I've, I've got bills to pay so I'm so grateful because this uh, management company came into my life and reached out to me in a different way that the others had they were very specific about like hey we know you're not doing explicit content but it's good. Like we like your shit. Uh, you need some help with marketing. And I'm all, that's an understatement. I suck. And they're in a different country. So English is their second language. The two, the two guys that I work with. And one of them was like, he said, I don't mean to dishonor you, which they say instead of disrespect, which I think is uh, so sweet, yeah, but yeah, he's like, yeah. not to dishonor you, but you're very bad at speaking like a basic, uh, ho. <laughs> And I was like, because I can't type like the porn girl. <laughs> yeah. I don't want somebody sticking that many things inside of me. Like, please. <laughs> um, I just, it doesn't even feel authentic. I told him, I was like, I can't get myself to type it out, even though I know that's the marketing game. That's how you get people's attention because I wouldn't say that. I'm like, <laughs> I can't get my fingers to type it because I wouldn't say it like in real life. So it feels like I'm lying again. And he's like, okay, we'll do it for you. I'm like, cool. Talk like a basic hoe for me. I mean, they're just really helping with the marketing. And then I get to make all the content and like talk to the people. And what uh, I'm very excited about though, is we're getting into streaming. 
And um, besides hopefully getting on that Harry Potter video game, if any of my nerds are out there, like, look yes. for next yes. month. <laughs> but he was like, why don't you practice your moves, the stripping moves, on stream? Like, people will watch that. And I'm like, yes. oh. And he was like, oh, yeah. He's like, most girls are just doing nothing. He's like, they're just talking to people. And he's like, because I have that pole that I installed in my apartment. I'm, like, pointing to it right now. You can't see it. But... I know I put one up to practice my moves. And so I may be able to incorporate both moving forward, like with the business. But if anybody's into redheads, if anybody likes, like, it's not, like I said, it's not explicit, but it isn't also, I didn't make it super expensive. Um, it feels, it feels great. It feels very like scary at the same time, but if I don't put myself out there and I'm not willing to stand behind my decisions, like going back to the very beginning, like the very conversations with my mom where I was like, I want to believe in what I'm doing. Otherwise, why the fuck am I doing it? Um, the podcast, I'm so grateful that you have let me come on and asked me and pushed me because this is the next part of my journey. And I really feel that if I can make any impact at all, it's going to be through example. Like it's the only way that members of my family and other cousins and uh, have felt it, that it was okay for them to leave the church yeah. was after I did. And, and after years of me posting and talking about how I am enjoying my life and I don't regret my decisions and I haven't been taken over by Satan. And yes, I experience depression like normal human beings, but it doesn't come from an external evil right. devil being. It's, you know, my life and how I'm processing things. But so I'm like, I have to be willing to put myself out there. And I'm yeah. so scared. I'm so scared. But it's like, why? And, the things that scare you. And, yeah. and like you said before, you're not doing anything wrong, but we were taught that being yeah. sexual or sharing sexy images or videos is wrong, but it's not. But it, you, you still have to struggle with that. People are going to judge me. I mean, it's the same that I experience with the podcast, like the intense fear mm -hmm. that someone in my Mormon bubble is going to find out about it. And I know some people have. And you like get really scared, but then you have to step back and be like, but I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah. I'm just being authentic. And if they have a problem with it, then that's their shit, you know? And and I think, think about how many people you've helped because you were willing to overcome that fear. So think about all the people that you're going to help <laughs> with, you know, not even just like having you know something beautiful to look at, but like being inspired to embrace their own sexuality and to not be ashamed of it and I just think it's so beautiful and wonderful and yes listeners you need to go to her OnlyFans because <laughs> I'm gonna go as soon as she gets done and uh I'm gonna link it in like the show notes in the description yeah. so I'll link how you can find her there and on Instagram because you need to see this beautiful oh. specimen and so much. Yeah. I hope I hope it I hope people even one person feels empowered to explore something or express something that they felt too ashamed of and hated themselves for it um, because of 
I don't know my my uh, what I'm doing. And uh, to be honest, I was gonna go through and block all the Mormons like before I posted some of the images that I've posted lately that are just like a little more sexy than I was before, but especially before the podcast came out and I wanted to uh, repost it on my social medias because I feel it's very important for my journey. But I was like, let me not block those people. If they want to unsubscribe, they can. They're, they don't have to listen to me. But if there's one girl that reaches out to me and the crazy thing is they already have like I haven't posted about the OnlyFans or the stripping experience or this podcast but even with the images that I have posted and like my um workout health journey that I've been talking about lately online Mormon girls are the ones reaching out to me and so similar to that therapist who stayed in the church I'm like let me not judge them the way they judged me and give them the option for how they want to live their life and who they want to have in it. And so it's Girl, been- that's why that's why we use um, the churches hashtags as if they could own them. That's why we use them is because we have had a lot of people actually that <gasps> reach out to us and say, I saw your content. I was Mormon. I was active. I saw your content because of the tag, but I would have been too scared to search it out otherwise. And then I got curious and then I listened and now I'm out. And it's like, yes, if we can just help, like you said, if, even if it's just one person, it's so worth it. It's I'm so, so worth it. proud of you guys. That's Aww. so great. Thank you. I'm proud of you <laughs> and your journey and for sharing it on this public, like, yeah, going to be out there in the world. But it's <laughs> so, so many people. <laughs> what? It's so scary, but it's like, fuck it. This is, yeah. I'm already doing it. Let's talk about it. I can change my mind tomorrow if I want and yeah. do something different. But for now, I'm so, that story, sorry, that really touched my heart. I'm so grateful that you guys have been able to help people in the middle of all the muck get out by happenstance. And I mean, it, me me too. I was already out, but I hadn't deconstructed that story we talked about yesterday. I'm like, yeah. so it was something you randomly liked on Instagram, you know? How crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And so that makes me, that gives also me motivation because even just one person, if maybe one more family member, you know, yeah. maybe one girl wants to talk to me about their sexual identity or happiness or exploration and I can be that person to support them and say it's going to be okay I know it feels very very scary but there is a lot of loving and beautiful souls that are there to tell you it's going to be okay and you will they'll start to come into your life you know so I hope that moving forward once I make sure all my bills are paid and like I'm secure, I want I want to start talking more about it. Like I want to maybe foster some sort of online community where we can give each other resources or talk about like, how did you overcome this part of the poison in your mind? Or what do you do on a daily basis to um, love yourself or to calm yourself down when you start feeling I don't know, all that anxiety coming up from leaving and the trauma and maybe I feel like every time I have an interaction with my family, even if it's not, even before we were estranged, 
it, when it was a good interaction or like nothing bad happened, I feel like I would be triggered and like the yeah. couple days afterwards, like it were harder for me. And yeah. that's not my family's fault. That's, you know, me and my healing journey and my boundaries. But I want people to know and the, that there's a different way and um, that you don't have to believe what they told you and you don't have to be this person that they told you you have to be even though it's not, I don't know, that whole denying of who you are and not being able to express yourself or live in an authentic way kills people's souls. And I, I don't, I can't drag them along with me, but your guys's podcast, other people's examples, other people's bravery, um, motivates me. And hopefully moving forward, I can continue to disrupt disrupting queen yes ah you're ah thank you so much for being on here and for sharing all of that and everyone again you need to go to her OnlyFans now (laughs) run show show the mormons that she can do it and and we're all gonna support you so thank you so much all right Instagram. I'll send you. Oh yeah. Instagram too. That'll also be down below in the, or not down below. We're not on fucking YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Could be. Who knows? Anyway. (laughs) All right, everyone. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Bye.